Welcome to Sonic's Flight, the podcast devoted to all things Sonics. Sonic's Flight is a monthly podcast discussing current events, news, and topics of interest to the Sonics community. We aim to entertain and educate builders and pilots of Sonics aircraft designs, inspiring them to complete and operate their aircraft safely and efficiently. Welcome to the Sonics Flight Podcast. This is episode number 53, Garmin G3X Avionics. Glass panel avionics continue to simultaneously add features and reduce in cost. Garmin's new G3X avionics system is targeted to the experimental and LSA market segment and offers a lot of bang for the buck. We'll dig into this system and explain what you'll need for your Sonics, how much it will cost, and all the cool features that you'll get with this state-of-the-art capability. My name is Jeff Schultz, builder and pilot of Sonic 604 and Sonic's 1374. Joining me are my two good flying buddies, Gary Motley and John Gillis. And back again from a previous show, Jonathan Wolf. Gary is a longtime pilot. He's a former CFI and a multi-time airplane builder. Gary, what you up to? Well, I'm doing well, doing well. We, we actually had some break in the sky here, Jeff, and we had blue sky for a little bit, so you may be getting it shortly. Although we did have some freezing drizzle earlier this morning and low overcast fog and all the good stuff, but... You know, on the on the positive side, I got a nice big box of uh, you know airplane service parts this week, so I'm just waiting for the weekend so I can get out there and start busting my knuckles some more. Yeah, good. And John Gillis, John is currently converting his Legacy YX into the new B model YX, and as of his last report, he had separated the fuselage and was uh, and I guess you had grafted the forward fuselage onto your old aft fuselage. So how's that coming, John? I'm still waiting for two splice pieces from Sonics for the bottom of the aft fuselage. So what you saw in those pictures were I clicoed the upper to the, you know, basically to the, the fuselage, but I'm not ready to, to graft it all together. Um, the wings have been modified. I've cut the skins. I've got all the uh, modifications of the spar done. Um, I'm waiting for those, uh, those bottom splices. <clears throat> I'm also taking the opportunity, um, to pull all the vinyl off of the plane. And, uh, you're going to see a new, uh, super B, um, configuration of the Sonics when it comes to Oshkosh this year. All right. I, uh, I'm intrigued. You'll have to tell us more, but later. It will be later. Yes. <laughs> All right. Good deal, John. And Jonathan Wolf. Uh, Jonathan, I think you were, you were our very first guest on episode one. That's and right. I know you've kind of poked your head in periodically, but it's been a while since we heard from you. So what have you been up to in the, uh, in the time that's elapsed? Well, I, uh, I've been using the cold winter months here in Kansas City to, Go through my punch list of a couple of dozen things, uh, small things that I need to do on my Sonics before I can uh, start thinking about painting when it warms up here in a few months. So project is moving right along. Good, good. Well, and uh, you'll have to um, you'll have to expand on your thoughts on avionics because I know that's probably the next big decision that you have to make as you finish up the construction of your airframe. And uh, that's the last piece. So that's a, an interesting perspective that you're going to bring to our conversation here. That's right. Uh, you know, for me, it comes down to uh, to Garmin or Dyna, and I think those are the two two major players. And so 
I'm pretty familiar with Dynon already from Flying with Jeff and his sonics, and looking forward to hearing more about Garmin tonight. Maybe I'll be swayed that direction. All right. Well, that's a perfect segue. So our guest this episode is Brad Brensing, sales manager for the experimental and LSA market segments at Garmin. So, Brad, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me, and I'm excited to uh, join into a podcast. We do a lot of webinars and seminars, but this is actually the first uh, podcast-style setting that we've uh, been able to be a part of, at least me personally. So, thank you for having us. I enjoy the opportunity. Yeah, and uh, thanks for uh, inviting us here to do, uh, Garmin, your, your headquarters building. We're using a conference room here at Garmin, and uh, it's kind of neat just to be on the campus and see the activity going on. I think you mentioned there's something like 3,000 people that work on the campus here. Yeah, I think that's the uh, last number that I was told. I try to stay in the very uh, South 40 corner uh, to try to stay away from it all, uh, but uh, our aviation department is in our original part of the campus here, and, and we have a big seven-story tower there that we put all of our other departments in. So it's definitely a big place to be at. Well, great. Yeah, uh, appreciate the invite here. So let's jump right in. Um, Brad, why don't you start us off by just giving us a little bit of your background and, and kind of catch us up as to your experience in aviation with Garmin and bring us to the point where uh, I guess you kind of took over as the sales manager for the G3X. So I'm a pilot and home builder myself. I am uh, building an RV-10, so I'm on the early stages of the RV. Just closed up my elevators and getting to work onto the tail cone in anticipation for a set of quick-build wings to arrive sometime this summer. I'm kind of in the same boat. I'm waiting. I'm ready for warm weather to happen. It seems like uh, we're in March and we just can't escape winter, so... Uh, my unheated garage will definitely feel better once we get some better temperatures here. So, uh, but building an RV-10, uh, been a pilot since I was a teenager. So soloed at 16 and got my license at 17 and fourth generation pilot in my family. So I definitely am deep rooted into aviation. Uh, I'm fairly new at Garmin. I've been with uh, Garmin since Sun and Fun last year. So uh, here in about another month, I am coming up on my one year anniversary uh, with them. Uh, in college, I actually studied agriculture in college and uh, did side jobs like flying skydivers uh, on the side once I received a commercial license in college and did a few of those things, but uh, worked in other wholesale uh, sales type roles outside of aviation before coming to Garmin and uh, was an avid home builder and just an aviation nut. And this is when I found the opportunity with Garmin. And I uh, contacted them and interviewed and was able to come on to the Team X uh, experimental team here at Garmin. And I've been really enjoying it since. And for perspective, uh, how long has the G3X line been available? So it's been out for quite some time, I believe. And this is coming before my history at Garmin. So I'm kind of taking some uh, dates out of the air here. Uh, I believe around the 2012 timeframe is when our legacy G3X platform came out. And then soon after, around the 2015 uh, timeframe is when the touch systems became popular. And it was about that time, about three to four years ago, uh, about four years ago now that the touch system came out, uh, offering a, a new level of functionality uh, as far as the touch interfaces and uh, the expandability that we were able to interface with new units behind the panel. Uh, giving the builder more options on how they would like to install the system in their aircraft. Yeah, yeah, and um, I didn't realize it was quite that long. Um, but I guess maybe that that kind of segues into my first thought to kind of 
bracket our conversation. And I'm going to call it, you know, myths about Garmin. And uh, I want to just throw some of these out and maybe maybe dispel or, or at least address them. So um, the first myth is from my own experience. Uh, Garmin is a high-end product. It's not for lowly Sonics builders and home builders. And uh, right or wrong, I, I think that that has been a perception that a lot of pilots have had. Right, and that's probably the the largest perception that I get at trade shows and items there is because uh, most of our experience with the Garmin Avionics are in our certified aircraft, and uh, there's definitely a whole different cost category to certified avionics that we've all seen in the past. Uh, but I believe that uh, I will agree with you that Garmin is a very high quality, high end system. But I believe when you really begin looking at the pricing structure behind the system, it's really going to surprise you. Uh, on how capable it is. Uh, you get all the Garmin quality and technology in there, but really for a home builder's price. And uh, I believe uh, when we're comparing prices with Garmin certified avionics and even the experimental panels, you look at the, the show panels and the marketing panels, and they're multiple screen, big IFR units, everything. You look at that and it kind of kind of takes your breath, breath away when you're looking at that. Uh, but really, we can scale the system down to everything from a single-seat VFR basic aircraft that's just going to fly around the patch, clear to your high-end IFR, even a, a pressurized turbine aircraft, all within the G3X system. So it's very scalable, expandable, uh, but really, when you start looking at the affordability of it, uh, most of my uh, colleagues and customers I speak with are usually very surprised uh, what we can do with the price uh, that we can get their aircraft equipped. Yeah, and that and that really is the second myth is that okay, well even if Garmin does make a, a line of avionics targeting experimentals and really the lower end of the of the light kind of aircraft market, um it's definitely going to be too expensive because everybody knows that a G1000 panel is, you know, 60,000 bucks and no one's going to put that in a light aircraft. Right. So and and I think and without going over the entire product catalog, um I think the G3X is uh, is a huge shift to making Garmin sort of name brand features available at that much, much more affordable price point. Mm-hmm. We've definitely seen, you know, look over the last even even 10 years, if you look back 10 years, the, the fast adoption of technology and how quick technology changes. Uh, one item I, I like to quote at my shows is our technology definitely moves faster than the FAA. That's why experimental aviation is so fun. We get to do a lot of really cool things before our certified friends get to do that uh, just because it's so much more accessible and affordable for us to do so. So a lot of these uh, big aircraft features are packed into even an experimental system. And to be real honest with you, I have Boeing 737 drivers and 777 drivers and Airbus drivers that come to me at the show and they explain to me how much more capable a G3X experimental type system is even than what they fly in their heavy jets uh, just because we've been able to adopt the technology and really innovate a lot quicker than anything on the business or general aviation side. Yeah, and that kind of leads me to my my final Garmin myth, and that's that Garmin is not interested in the lightest segment. They only want to sell big, expensive system to uh, to Mooney retrofits and Cirrus and things like that. Well, we definitely like our uh, our larger OEM partners like the Cirrus and the business jets, and even moving into uh, commercial aviation now. Currently, we have the high end systems like the G three thousand, the G five thousand retrofit flight decks uh, for aftermarket, you know, a Citation XLS or a Beach Jet. Definitely a big core of our market. 
However, uh, the experimental team on our portables and experimental avionics side is a very big piece of Garmin and uh, a very, very big contributor to what Garmin does in the aviation segment. And each one of us, we're all pilots and home builders as well on my entire uh, experimental team. I think if I made a really quick count, I have up to six or seven aircraft projects going together within my engineering and sales team at the moment. So uh, we're definitely uh, in, in our group. We still have many, many Grass, grassroots aviation uh, hearted people that are working on this team that definitely has our light aircraft experimental owners uh, kind of it, in our best intents and a market that we definitely want to continue to serve well moving forward. Yeah, a couple years ago, um, I might have uh, I might have believed uh, all those myths, but um, since I've really become aware of the G3X line and uh, really started checking into the features and the prices, uh, it's maybe kind of reevaluate each one of those myself. Right. No, it's great to hear. Um, yeah, I was just going to try to see if Brad could lead into us. I understand that he's that Brad. Are you you are a part of the Team X at Garmin, or could you expand a little bit on that for us? Yeah, so Team X is our brand name that we've dubbed within Garmin that really focuses on this home-built and light sport aircraft market. So uh, I am a part of Team X. I guess I am the Team X sales guy. Uh, we have several, a, a whole team, I believe we have up to 25 engineers on the uh, Team X team looking at our experimental avionics and portables lineup. So that would be anywhere from the Aeros 796 to Aeros 660 handhelds that uh, most of our pilot population will use clear up to the high-end G3X system. So several engineers are part of that along with marketing. But uh, yes, I, I am considered part of the Team X as the sales representation for that. Okay, Brad, why don't you give us an overview of the G3X system? Uh, keep it high level, conceptual, and then we'll peel this back a piece at a time. Yeah, definitely. So there's an awful lot of pieces that can go into the G3X uh, architecture. Uh, starting with the screens, we have several different screen options uh, to fit your aircraft needs, whether you're flying a light sport tandem aircraft or a, a four place like an RV10 like I'm building or a Sonex type aircraft. Uh, we have uh, multiple choices from screen sizes of 7-inch portrait screen, uh, a 7-inch landscape screen, as well as our most popular offering, which would be the 10.6-inch landscape screen. That's our big screen G3X that is uh, definitely uh, widely most adopted. Uh, really, and, and that's the start of the base core system. From there, we need our basic flight operations uh, equipment to run the data that's on our G3X system. We call those our LRU kits. LRU stands for Line Replaceable Unit. So that's items like our flight computer that measures our pedostatic angle of attack information, our magnetometers that feed into that system to give us actual magnetic heading, and the temperature probe to give us temperature-corrected information like true airspeed, uh, altitude information, and whatnot. And then that's really the base core of the system. If you want just a large piece of glass that you're going to fly behind, handle all of your flight instruments, navigation information as far as VFR, charts, mapping, uh, data, as far as that goes, that's, that's all we really need to get flying. So we don't have to go to a big, a big lineup of a system in order to get flying in our aircraft. From there, it's a modular system we get to expand upon. We can add options such as engine information system. Uh, about any probes that your engine is going to use, you know, the Sonex lineup from, uh, you know, the, the Corvair engines, AeroV engines, uh, small light homings, items like that. Uh, we can feed those sensor packages into uh, EIS module 
be able to display that on the screen if you want to have integrated engine information system there as well. Uh, if you want to add radios onto that, we have radio options, whether they're panel mount or they're remote mount radios. Same things with audio panels, transponders, uh, ADSB out models, ADSB in and out uh, transponder models as well. Uh, we can interface with a variety of the Garmin options from the panel mount and the remote mount uh, specific uh, avionics packages. So our radio packages uh, on the experimental side, if I'm going to look at exper experimental uh, specific GTR200B is our latest uh, radio modeling. It's a uh, our basic comm radio. It's an excellent digital comm radio with a built-in intercom for two-place aircraft. Uh, so that's definitely beneficial for our home builders. We don't need to wire in a separate intercom. Our radio is going to include that for a very attractive price as well. Bluetooth connectivity has been added into the GTR200B. We now have a Bluetooth receiver in with that radio so we can get our XM music, uh, iPad, iPhone music right into our headsets there as well uh, is another great feature to have. Um, and same thing, it gives us Bluetooth connectivity to items uh, like our uh, ForeFlight or Garmin Pilot on our iPad apps. Uh, uh, for example, our transponders are Bluetooth enabled as well. We can display that ADSB information onto our iPad. So many, many different options. So if I'm going to do another quick recap, starting with the G3X screens, to the radios, transponders, audio panels, then moving into the autopilots, uh, they, uh, the autopilot and the G3X platform, I think is one of the greatest assets of uh, our entire system. It's an excellent autopilot, definitely rock solid. Anywhere for somebody who, who's wanting a basic one access wing leveler uh, uh, option for their autopilot cleared to the high-end IFR, three axis, um, you know, full auto trim capabilities, trim speed scheduling is included in that. Uh, you can fly fully coupled IFR approaches if you're equipped with an IFR navigator like a GTN 650. Uh, gives us another great option as well. So really any type of flight mode and flight option that an owner would want in their aircraft, we can tailor the system to be able to cover uh, every need that they might have. Okay. All right. Um, and I do want to dig through, um, we'll, we'll take it a piece at a time because it's just a dizzying amount of information and acronyms. So we'll, yeah. we'll peel this back a little at a time. But before we get into that, uh, again, high level sort of conceptual, help us understand really how is a G3X different than the other things, uh, a G1000, a G3000? Just help us put it in perspective in what, you know, how the systems are built. Well, I'm currently flying both a, on a G1000 system uh, and some IFR training fits in the G3X platform as well. And one quick comment I will make is the G3X platforms and these touchscreen technologies that we have are way easier to use, in my opinion. It's Of course, it's come down to, it comes down to your education and what you're used to and what you're used to flying behind, uh, but the touchscreen systems and the Garmin user interface is so intuitive to use, it's very easy to use. So one of the concepts behind the usability of the G3X platform is uh, really a human factors discussion. So at Garmin, we have a team of people who primarily focused just on human factors. And this is how we design our buttons, our menus, our user interface. And so we're really big on user interfaces here at Garmin and the usability of it. Uh, if you're going transitioning from a G1000 cockpit or GTNs to a G3X, you're going to find it very easy to use because your mind is used to how the Garmin system works. Uh, it's going to all feel very familiar, and I think it's going to be very easy transition. Even somebody coming from steam gauge panel, maybe they haven't had the opportunity to come from a G1000 type cockpit. 
Uh, it's a very easy transition. It's definitely a learning curve, but you could say that the other way. Somebody who's never flown steam gauges and are only used to glass cockpits uh, probably almost have a hard time going to steam gauges because they're not quite sure what to see. It's definitely a, it, it's a, something to learn, but uh, definitely not a difficult undertaking as well. So uh, I think the user interface really sets us apart. Uh, when you look at the Garmin Pilot app, uh, how that uh, the button, the, the buttonology, the menu system works on anything from an iPad app to the G3X to the GTNs. It's all going to be very familiar, and it's going to be easy transition no matter what you're using. Okay, so maybe just to kind of simplify and summarize, with the G3X, you get um, an intuitive interface and buttonology. Uh, what do you give up when going from one of the big premium featured systems like a, a G1000? I really don't believe you're going to give anything up, especially in our experimental amateur built uh, home built markets. Um, this system is just as capable uh, as any uh, light aircraft system uh, that I, I think is out on the market. So I don't think I really truly don't believe you're going to give up anything. I think you're going to gain uh, gain the ease and capabilities uh, in the G3X platform. Uh, of course, there's exceptions out there. If we're moving into business aircraft, you know, we're looking at weather radars and pressurization controls and, uh, you know, other high-end business-type aircraft. That's not really a concern on our uh, EAB type of marketplace, but really uh, you're not going to be giving up anything moving to a G3X platform. Okay, so maybe features that are targeted to a little different type of airplane that we don't really have a need for anyway. Right, definitely. Okay, and uh, and of course being 10 years newer, or, or at least 10 years newer, um, it's going to have all those advantages of newer processors and smaller everything and cheaper everything and all that too. Right. Actually, a lot of, if you look at the evolution of general aviation avionics today, there's a lot of, of these pieces, especially with EAA really helping us open up the STC processes into general aviation aircraft. Uh, you can actually think of it going the other way. We've, we've taken all of our technology from our large aircraft platforms, really brought them in and created an exceptional experimental system. But if you look at the evolution of general aviation avionics today, it's starting to go the other way. It's really the experimental technology and capabilities that are starting to drive what we can do in the general aviation segment. And that's why you're seeing uh, general aviation finally starting to adopt items like the touchscreen and the STC process to get our experimental products and certified aircraft. Um, at the, at the G5 electronic flight instrument from Garmin would be a good example of that, as well as the GFC 500 autopilot, uh, which has become very popular for Garmin and our certified aircraft. Those both came from TMEX in the experimental market. So I think the tables are starting to turn a little bit. They're really realizing the innovation that we have uh, within the experimental marketplace and how we can help the rest of general aviation. Okay, so maybe we won't think of it as stripped down Garmin light. We'll think of it as the the new leading edge of Garmin. Yeah, definitely. That's okay, a great way to look at it. Okay, Brad, if we talk about the the architecture of the G three X, we know that Garmin is well known for having you know an infinite capability level, but as far as actually operating the, the traditional G three X system and maybe accessing say eighty percent of what average pilot might need. How much of a layering system does one have to go through to actually access or, or command the, the system that you that you want to do? I guess your question is what what kind of learning system that we would have to go through? No, Can I mean, you how repeat many layers that? deep in, 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 the, in the software do you get or do you need to go to be able to command about 80% of what you might want to do? In other words, 
do you have to go down two screen levels or three screen levels or or menu subsystems i should say yeah definitely so the layers so the main concern uh from transitioning from steam to glass is how quickly is my information accessed and how far do i have to go to find it and that's one great item about a, a traditional glass screen is all of our basic flight instruments are on the screen uh, it replaces your entire six pack and even more than that so everything from your airspeed and altitude tapes are quickly available uh Navigation information, we can display inset windows on the G3X uh, flight display to show VFR maps without having to go anywhere to get it. Same goes for our flight planning, traffic pages, weather pages. All of that can be uh, configured to show right on our primary flight display. So we really don't have to go anywhere to find the popular information that we're looking for. Uh, our EIS is displayed on the main screen. Uh, radio frequencies, including the name of the frequency that you're tuned into, whether you're using a panel mount radio or remote mount radio, is accessible on the very front of the screen. Uh, everything for, for uh, transponder information is displayed on the screen as well, so we really don't have to look anywhere else in the cockpit to get our basic flight information. Uh, it's all right there in front of us with one, one glance and one look. If we're looking for other items as far as uh, setting changes, usually we can just find that with one simple click of the screen. Uh, the Garmin has two different ways we can access our information. We can use the touchscreen interface or we can use our buttons and knobs as well. We have two dual concentric knobs at the bottom of the screen as well as a nearest and direct to button if you want to do some quick navigation information and find a new airport to fly to. It's just one single touch. Uh, a menu button is accessible on the front of the screen as well. I always tell people menu button is your friend if you're ever looking for something. Uh, so if there's a setting you need to change in flight, uh, one of the basic settings, it's usually accessible to do that by one simple menu click. So uh, really, once you have the system configured to how you like it on the flight, most likely you'll be able to take off and make your complete flight without ever touching the screen because everything is going to be accessible and configured there uh, at the at the front page. Definitely can get in, dig in deeper if you're using your G3X for items like uh, checklists as well, or if you're using your flight timers, uh, user waypoint information. Uh, if you have a weight and balance loaded up into your aircraft, you can certainly look at uh, weight and balance by accessing the main menu. But really, these are just two function options. So I would say probably 90% of the functions you need to do in a typical flight are right on the uh, primary flight display. And if you need to change anything, they're within uh, one button or one touch away. Uh, there are exceptions to that, but I'd say 90% of our features are within one touch away. Yeah, that was what I was primarily asking if you had to go, you know, one, two, three submenus uh, to be able to access or modify a display item. Yeah, with the split screen modes within the G3X, we have the primary flight display. Uh, you get your full screen PFD, including synthetic vision. Uh, we want to add the inset windows, uh, which show on the primary flight display. What those options really give us are what type of information do you want to see while you're flying? Uh, if you want to see a window on your primary flight display that covers your VFR map, we can uh, configure that to show up on our front page there. Uh, if you want a traffic map there as well, our ADSB traffic map shows up on the primary flight display as well. Uh, <clears throat> if you're, if you like to have a box showing nearest airports, uh, if you're flying cross country and prefer to have a nearest imports, uh, airports page, 
up on the primary flight display. That's always accessible as well. Uh, G meters, if you're going to be doing any yanking or banking or aerobatics, we can add that to the primary flight display, as well as video inputs. If you have an external camera like a Garmin Verb plugged into the screen, uh, you can have that show on the primary flight display. So those are all bits and pieces of information that we really didn't have to go anywhere to receive that info. It's uh, accessible right on the main page. Uh, if we have a split screen option on the uh, Garmin G3X as well, uh, we can just get a bigger view of that. So my VFR map, I can split the screen in half and have a VFR map as well. If you have uh, VFR charts or IFR charts, I can definitely split screen and show that information as well. Uh, the waypoint information, we have full databases that are very similar uh, to our Aero 660 and Aero 796 portable models. All the information as far as airport info, frequencies, runways, ADSB and XM weather, if you want that displayed on there, uh, it's going to show that as well. As well as our airport facilities directory from AOPA, we have that entire database loaded into the G3X. Uh, you can do your flight planning in the split screen mode. Uh, we have, the, as mentioned earlier, the weather page uh, that also gives fuel planning information uh, as far as fuel range rings like you would typically see on higher end EIS or uh, higher end cockpit systems. All of our ADSB information that we're receiving from the FAA is decoded uh, simply uh, on our primary flight display sp split screen mode. So we have uh, the NEXTRAD radar satellite information for satellite clouds. Uh, winds aloft, definitely one of my favorite features. I can have decoded winds aloft on a map right on my primary flight display, including temperature and new FISB options like lightning, storm cells, TFRs are all accessible as, as well. For you guys out there in Colorado flying around the mountains, you're very familiar with the, the terrain map uh, that's available on our system as well. It's going to look very similar to our portables. Uh, the terrain database is accessible from split screen mode as well, as well as larger source for traffic and, uh, and pages as well, including the EIS. We can have our engine information si system simultaneously up on the primary flight display. Even with our split screen mode, it's always available. But we have a larger split-screen uh, engine information page accessible as well. That's going to give us all of our uh, four-cylinder or six-cylinder EGTs, CHT information, electrical bus health, uh, fuel information, fuel calculators, and that's all going to tie into our flight planning information as well. Uh, to do that, I only had to uh, make one finger touch of the screen and, and turn a knob to flip through those. So there, those uh, we we don't have to dig into layers very deep to find all this information that we could ever need. Yeah, Brad, I, I like how um, we're looking at the demonstrator right in front of us. So uh, if you're listening to this, you may have to go to Garmin's website and pull up a graphic of the screen. But there are two small inset windows that sit in the in the lower left and lower right hand corners. And when you touch those, it goes into a, a left-right split-screen mode, and all those features just start popping up. And so with just a couple of button pushes or twisting the knob, uh, it looks like you're effortlessly kind of cycling through those. Mm -hmm. So We can change all this information on the fly to be very uh, visible to us, so it's not something that we have to definitely set on the ground, and uh, and it's uh, it's not buried in flight, just a couple quick clicks, and we can change anything in flight, the, the uh, information that we need at that certain time. So I have a question. Uh, some of us don't have room in the panel for the large 10-inch display, so we would be looking at the smaller 7-inch, I believe. Yes. Uh, what you've just explained, what kind of compromises 
if any, are there for the smaller display in terms of how things are laid out and how they're accessible? You will be able to have all of the same information on the smaller screens from the 7-inch portrait and the 7-inch landscape models for smaller panel aircraft. Uh, we can still have the synthetic vision, the split screen modes, the inset windows, EIS. Uh, the only consideration there is we're starting to put a lot of information on a smaller screen. Uh, I'd still get asked a lot uh, to put more information on the smaller screen, but we just really start cluttering some items. The beauty of the system is we can put a lot of information on there, but we can also take away a lot of information on there. So if you just find on the smaller screen system that having the inset windows, EIS, radios, information like that, uh, if that's just too much for you, I can go into a quick menu item and I can turn all these inf information off and I can really simplify that. Uh, with a couple menu clicks, I can even do items like turn off my synthetic vision uh, pathways information like that and really come down to an early level glass display that looks similar to some of the early legacy systems that first came out when we were flying with glass cockpits. If you're transitioning from steam gauges to uh, a glass cockpit and it's a little intimidating, I can even change everything. I can put round gauges up on the screen if that may look a little more familiar to you. So I can really simplify the system to where if you just want to have artificial horizon and speed as a, a typical six pack showing on the screen, we can certainly do that to give you the basic information you need. And as you learn the system, we can start adding things to that screen. That way the user can really find what type of setup that really works for them in the cockpit. So it's the same information, same options, just a little smaller then? Yep, that okay. is correct. So you're not giving up any of the features? Nope, definitely not. Okay. What I do like about Garmin, some of their features, is their ability to, to declutter, as Brad was just saying. I remember even some of the very early, early GPS systems uh, to have that capability was really good, especially when you're dealing with a smaller screen, to be able to take out some things that you didn't really want at the time. Yeah, for example, on our mapping system, so you're definitely probably used to our decluttering options on even even our legacy systems like the 296 and the 496, the ERA 500 series, the 660s. Uh, we're able to declutter that information even on the VFR mapping system to where if we're getting a little bit of an information overload, uh, we can take some of the obstacle data, terrain data away. That way we can just get the decluttered basic information that we're looking for. Okay, Brad, let's walk through a typical LSA-type installation and really kind of with an eye towards what a typical Sonics pilot might want. So walk us through building an LSA, a simple LSA system. Okay. Yeah, definitely. So we're going to start with our screen selection. Uh, I definitely know that uh, some of our Sonics aircraft are limited on space, so whether we're looking at a single large system or the smaller screen uh, going to the 7-inch, um, yeah. same capabilities, just a little bit different pricing behind that. You could fit a 7-inch uh, landscape with no problem, and if you wanted to put the 10-inch, you'd have to build a custom panel. Not undoable, but it would require a little bit of effort. Right. So I think most people are going to lean towards the 7-inch just because it fits in the existing space. Yeah, so our 7-inch displays, uh, they start at $2,995. Uh, and then on top of that, we add our line replaceable unit kit that I mentioned earlier. That includes a GSU-25 flight computer to measure our pedostatic angle of attack inputs. And that's also what gives us our accelerometers and our rate sensors to give us all of our artificial horizon data on there as well. Uh, the, the definitely the install kits uh, come along as the options as well. Uh, this gives us our back shells, connectors, items if you're building your own wiring harness. 
Those are add-on options as well. So that's really the core of the system. That's what we have to have to start a glass system in our aircraft. So for a small screen system, we're looking at about $4,700 to get us a glass flight display working in our aircraft and we're off flying. Uh, this is definitely all a VFR type aircraft would need to begin flying and have all the flight information and navigation for a VFR system in their airplane. So uh, baseline, we can start at that $4,700 to $5,700 for that large screen system. And that's where we're really going to start. And uh, we can start adding on options from there if you'd like. To, we can start discussing each one of those as we move along here. Okay. Yeah, let's let's just kind of step through building a, a full system. So now we have our, our basic, uh, our screen and our... Our, um, your line replaceable unit. I, I think of that as like a, an ARs on a, on other system. Yeah. But, um, that gets us all of our primary flight instruments. It gets us our, our map and our, our moving map and our navigation capability. Then if we add engine monitoring, uh, what do we do for that? Mm-hmm. So the GEA 24 is our first and most popular option, uh, within the G3X system. The GEA 24 is our engine analyzer unit. Uh, each one of these units that we're adding into the system is a separate box that we're installing in the system. This was, this is what helps us make the system modular and expandable and customizable to the aircraft owner's needs. So, uh, the EIS unit, uh, the connectors that go along with that, including the engine sensors, uh, that mounts on the cold side of the firewall or wherever is really convenient for the builder. And that's the other great thing about uh, this modular type of system. If you don't have room behind the panel to mount these avionics and systems, we can move them out back. We can put them in a baggage area, behind a baggage area bulkhead uh, is a very popular option for uh, smaller aircraft that are just limited on space, but they want to have the large airplane type capabilities. So, And that's a huge deal in a Sonics because, um, I mean, every Sonics builder struggles with how do you fit all the gear in the limited panel space. It's not just the, the size of the panel itself. It's the depth behind the panel. Right. Because it's only uh, 10 or 11 inches back there. Right. You don't have a lot of room to stash a lot of goodies back there. And that's what's great about the G3X system. We're really only looking about four to six inches behind the panel. Uh, that's really going to take up space. We can fit everything in a pretty tight area. So each one of these line replaceable units, uh, they're, not all, they're, they're not much larger than three or four inches deep. Uh, so whether we're mounting those, uh, like our GEA 24, the engine analyzer unit going on the firewall, it's only a couple inches tall. Uh, our flight computers, we don't have to mount the GSU flight computer on the back of the G3X screen. It could actually go on the back of the airplane as well, depending how you have your pedostatic lines ran. Uh, so all of our, our, really the only item that needs to be uh, behind the panel is the screen and the connector that goes behind the screen. And when you do that, you're looking at a four or five inch depth uh, to start. Um, so on earlier uh, uh, aircraft, a, a kit fox, early kit fox comes to mind. They have a fuel tank behind their panel. They only have a few inches to work with. And we even have those owners retrofitting G3X systems onto those early kit fox models uh, because they only have a few inches of room to work with and they can make it work for their for their specific aircraft. Okay. And you said the EAS goes on the cold side and you just run all your sensor wires through a, a pass-through? Yep. You have a firewall pass-through, um, just a, an inch or two of uh, sensors, depending how many sensors you have, whether you're using a four-cylinder engine, six-cylinder engine. If you're doing the full EGT, CHT monitoring on all of your cylinders, uh for your engine, or if you're just going to pick one and utilize the data off that one, completely configurable to what you want to see. There's definitely no requirement to 
monitor every cylinder on your aircraft, but the, that's your preference there as well. Uh, just uh, determines how many sensors and wires we need to bring through the firewall uh, up to the GEA 24. Uh, then outside of that, it's really a, a, a change to how much space you have to work with as you're adding onto the system, uh, what, what type of that's units you want to add to that. I do have some installation questions. You mentioned the connectors quite a bit. Is this, is this pretty much a CAN bus system? So we have two different data paths uh, that work within the system. So we have both RS-232 data pathways and CAN bus systems. So CAN bus is our primary backbone that interfaces with all the units. So the way the CAN bus system works is we the G3X screen and flight computer sends data packets out on the, G, on the CAN bus network. And all of the line units within that, whether it's your radio transponder autopilots, they grab whatever piece, whatever piece of data packet that they need off that uh, CAN bus network. That's not a new thing. Our, uh, you know, our cars since the, you know, late 80s, early 90s have been communicating electronically on items like the CAN bus network. So uh, CAN bus is something that's been around a long time. Uh, modern cars, boats uh, have CAN bus network systems within those. Uh, that's how a lot of the data information is driven. So secondarily then to that, has Garmin come along with doing anything in the, war, in the way of a pre-wired harness in support of the experimental builder? I know you have connectors, but as I understood previously, most of that had to be uh, self-wired or sent to avionics custom shops. It can either be self-wired or uh, done via one of our dealer networks. So Garmin does not supply wiring harnesses directly ourselves. Uh, that's mainly because we have a dealer network of 600 dealers throughout the globe that really support our owners and give the owners options. Uh, that also helps us keep our costs down within the experimental market. Uh, that's we, we don't have... Uh, oh, warehouses that have boxes full of wiring harnesses because each one of these systems really is going to be tailored to what your aircraft needs. So for example, uh, Sonex A may have the GTR220 radio mounted behind the panel and your next owner might have his mounted behind the baggage bulkhead. So uh, the customizability of the system is uh, part of why we don't specifically make wiring harnesses ourselves. Uh, definitely there's specialty wiring harness shops uh, in the country. Uh, people like Aircraft Spruce, Steinair, Aerotronics, Gulf Coast and Pacific Coast, Avionics, Sarasota, Approach Fastec, they all really specialize in specialty wiring harness builds and they're able to give you a very high quality product uh, that is tailored specifically to your airplane. So there's definitely a lot of purchasing options that you can get custom wiring harnesses made uh, to equip your aircraft. Okay, Brad, uh, on the EIS, uh, do you purchase a sensor package based on your engine or does the EIS include basic sensors? You would purchase a sensor package uh, to fit with your aircraft. Uh, the ones that we supply are four-cylinder Lycoming Continental uh, as well as the six-cylinder engines uh, and Rotax 912. We have uh, a specific sensor kits for those aircraft. However, they're, they're very generic sensors. They're, uh, for example, a Type K thermocouple. Uh, that's a very widely uh, available uh, sensor package. So uh, we can custom configure the G3X engine information system to use uh, a wide range of sensors that you may need to use, whether it's a, 
a different model of a fuel transducer, uh, fuel pressure, fuel flow monitoring capabilities, uh, or if there's a specific uh, EIS CAN bus that you're looking at that may need to be interface, uh, we can definitely tailor those um, and custom configure our gauges and sensor packages uh, to use a wide variety. So definitely not something you're required to purchase from Garmin or that's really going to limit your engine choices. Uh, as long as it's a popular sensor, sensor we can uh, typically read it on the EIS system. That's going to give you exactly, exactly the reading that you're uh, needing. Um, if it's not a specific sensor that we are very familiar with, one great thing about the customizability of the G3X system, uh, each one of these sensors reads a voltage range, and that's how our thermocouple and other sensors read. As long as you have the specs on the sensor that you're using, we can build a custom gauge within the EIS system and the G3X and uh, name it exactly what you want. And as long as we can map the curve on there, the, the pilot and the, the user installer can custom make a gauge exactly what they need it to be. And so uh, the options are really limitless as far as our EIS readings and sensors packages go. Okay. So no particular challenge with um, with getting your engine hooked up? Yep, definitely not. Okay. And then uh, adding to that, you know, basic system, uh, comm and transponder, uh, what are the common options that a Sonics pilot might choose for, for remote mount and for panel mounted comm and transponder? We have a few basic options uh, in the experimental side. And what, what I really like about these is because they are experimental only, this gives us a lower cost as well. So if I'm looking at my comm radio packages, the GTR200B and the GTR200 are our uh, panel mount comm solution. So these can be panel mounted, uh, but they interface in with the G3X system as well. So if I'm selecting a frequency on my database map within the G3X screen, with a couple uh, simple touches, I can send that frequency over to my comm radio. I don't lose any functionality uh, for my databases there. So those are our two options uh, for panel mounts. They both include a two-place stereo intercom, uh, auxiliary inputs for music as well. As mentioned, the GTR200B has a Bluetooth receiver. We just released that radio in January, and that's become very popular as well. And then we also have a remote radio, which is the GTR20. It really is the exact same comm radio. We just removed the faceplate on it, and we mount it someplace else. So that gives you flexibility. If you need to mount that radio horizontally or vertically behind the panel, or if you need to set it in the uh, baggage area behind the baggage bulkhead of the tail cone, you can mount it back there. You don't lose any quality or uh, functionality with your comm radio that way. Moving on to transponders, ADSB is obviously the big topic right now as we have the mandate coming up. Uh, at the end of this year, it's gonna be here quick. We have a GTX 35R which is a Mode S ADSB out transponder there. Um, and then the GTX 45R gives us our ADSB in and out Mode S capability there as well. I guess while I talk through this, I, I, I will add some pricing information here as well, just to help the listeners and viewers there as well. The GTR 200 uh, Bluetooth uh, capable comm radio is $1,395. Uh, the non-Bluetooth model, which is the GTR 200, uh, starts at $1,199. That GTR20 remote mount com comes at a price at $995. That's very economical when you consider the price of com radios. And, yeah, that's a great uh, price. Having a and I, I for one definitely know uh, using a poor com radio can really ruin your flying experience. I 
I know I've flown in aircraft that had less than subpar radios, and it really causes frustration for the pilot. So having a brand new technology digital comm radio uh, for a price point under $1,000 is just excellent news for our home builders. Yeah, and having integrated in where, you know, the the menu system in your EFIS controls your comm radio. It loads frequencies. It's just it, it integrates it to the point that um, – you get a lot of value out of that. So it's worth a couple hundred bucks over a bare minimum stripped comm radio to get that level. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so that's a great price. And the accessibility, even on the remote comm radio, we can use it like our panel mount radio as well. By a simple touch on the standby frequency, it brings up our split page uh, comm radio. Uh, if you want to touch the type the frequency in, you just use your finger and type in your frequency that you're looking for hit enter and it's in the standby as well. If you're used to knobs as well and you prefer to tune a frequency using the dual considered knobs on the screen as well, it's going to feel just like it does your panel mount radio. It's going to function the same way. So uh, very user friendly uh, in that sense. And uh, everything from volume and squelch controls, uh, monitoring frequencies, you can still monitor a second frequency is there. Uh, there as well, you don't need an audio panel to do that. Uh, all those functions are immediately available on the screen. And what we were talking about as far as the databases that are in the G3X screen, let's say you're looking at a flight plan, you have a radio or you have an airport plugged into your flight planning on the G3X screen, you can see that option within the flight planning page. There's a select frequency button right beside that. If you're like me, you always forget the ATIS frequency or the AWOS frequency you're always fumbling around in your charts to try to find that again. Uh, this gives us each frequency for that airport from ASOS, Unicom, radio centers, emergency frequencies. We can simply select one of those frequencies. It throws it right up on our standby. Then we just going to touch our primary frequency. frequency. It's going to flip-flop it right into our primary uh, option. So uh, that's another great menu item that we have that we're able to dig into the databases and make this a really user-friendly uh, experience uh, with our comm radio. With the transponder specifically, the GTX-35R, which is our remote mount ADS-B uh, out only transponder, uh, that starts at a price of $21.99. Uh, with that, we need to add a WASP position source to satisfy the FAA of where we're going. That's our GPS-20A box uh, is what that is called. Uh, that gets our legal FAA WASP position source that we're need, needing to transmit uh, out on that. So really, if you consider the price of the transponder, the GPS 20A, and the antenna for less than $3,000 total, we're going to have a ADSB out mode S transponder that gets us 2020 legal. Uh, moving on to the GTX 45R, that starts at the price of $34.99. Uh, we're going to have full ADSB in information, Bluetooth connectivity to our portable devices in the iPad. That will also Bluetooth information uh, to the G3X screen as well. That's uh, also a hardwired data path that we don't need to tie up that Bluetooth uh, receiver for anything else. We can keep that open for multiple portable devices in the cockpit. So for about a price of, ending price of about $4,500, we will have an experimental remote mount transponder that's ADSB in and out as well. If you prefer a panel mount transponder, the Garmin GTX 335 and 345 lineup are certified transponders, so they do come at a little bit higher cost, uh, but that is our option for a panel mount transponder uh, there as well. So if uh, 
uh, owner customer prefers to have that traditional radio stack in their aircraft, which I'm definitely a fan of the traditional look. Um, it, it, it's definitely not a limitation. They can have the panel mount interface as well. And it's going to interface with the certified avionics through the G3X screen, just like we would uh, with the experimental products and have the same user ability and uh, ease of use there. And I guess I'll point out, um, you don't have to go with Garmin, Com, and Transponder. You get a level of integration that you'll probably enjoy. But if you have a Trig Transponder or you have an ICOM radio or something like that that you want to use, uh, you can do that. You just don't get the advanced features that you get with an integrated system. Right. And we can still integrate with some of those third-party systems. So if you have an ICOM radio or an older radio, even if you have an older Garmin radio, like an SL30 or an SL40 that were very popular uh, and uh, people can pick up on the used market as well, we will still have some level of interfacing in with those. Uh, Some of the control features might be compromised. It may not be as functional as the uh, Garmin and Garmin system, but uh, if you need to, if, if you feel like uh, you want to mix and match your panel a little bit, we would still be able to interface with some of those other companies and third-party systems. So uh, you're definitely not required to go to an all-Garmin system if you choose to go the G3X route. You still definitely have options. Okay. So I think that takes care of the basic system. And then uh, walk us through some of the, the popular options that a Sonics pilot might choose to install? What would those be and what do they cost? I think your next popular option, so we've gone from the the screen options to the EIS and then kind of took care of our, you know, our meat and potatoes, the comm and the transponder. Now we're flying. Uh, We can enjoy that. As we move on to the system, definitely our uh, most popular additions are our data link information, like our ADS-B data links and our XM data links. So, we have a series of portable receivers as well as hard-mounted receivers you can add to your airplane, uh, like the Garmin GDL series, the GDL 50 through 52 models, uh, the GDL 50 being an ADS-B receiver. Uh, for example, if you want, if you chose to uh, equip your aircraft with the GTX 35R, which is the ADS-B out-only transponder, we can still get ADS-B information into the G3X system via a portable unit like the GDL-50 or a GDL-50R, which is a remote-mounted uh, ADS-B receiver. If you like to have XM music and weather in your aircraft, the GDL-52 is definitely going to be an option to add that. So that's one of the first things we look at uh, because data bases and, and data flow is definitely on our mind. Yeah, or if you had an old Mode C and you put like a Uavionics, um, you know, add-on, and so you were using an, an older, separate, discrete ADSB solution, but you still want ADSB in. Yeah. So definitely uh, several ways to get that, and uh, as mentioned earlier, the auto the autopilot is going to be a definite uh, addition yep. to your cro- for your cross country. So so walk us through a, 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 a Sonics appropriate two axis autopilot. What do you need, and what's that going to cost to add it? So you need. Two servos, and that's all you need to add a full-functioning autopilot into a G3X system. So they're $750 a piece. So really for about $1,500 and some change once you add the connector kits. So I would say for about $1,600 to $1,700, you can have a full-functioning autopilot, two-axis, in your aircraft. Uh, all of those control informations are accessed through the G3X screen as well. So our G3X acts as the brain for the autopilot. We don't need a separate control head or another unit driving the servos. The servos communicate on the CAN bus network as well. We call them smart servos. And uh, they're, they're uh, 
a very small motor. They only weigh about one and a half pounds a piece. So they're a brushless DC motor as well. It helps keep down on items like electrical in interference. Uh, we don't have many service issues for that. Um, it's a, a very good sealed option that is going to be maintenance free for a very long time. So that can be uh, mounted within your control system. Uh, those wire in the, the system as well. On the G3X screen, at the top center of your primary flight display, I have the AFCS control panel, which is the automatic flight control system split screen page. So each one of these functions pulls up a split screen menu uh, that adds my flight director information, my autopilot engaged there as well. Uh, if you have a yaw damper installed in your airplane, um, a yaw damper option for cross-country flyers is becoming uh, definitely popular, and that's a, another servo we add into the system. But you have the option to navigate via uh, selected heading. Uh, GPS ground track is one of the options there uh, you can navigate from as well. Uh, that way you stay on a consistent GPS ground track as the winds aloft change as you're moving cross-country. You don't have to adjust your heading. Uh, as well as navigation info being fed uh, either internally from the VFR navigator in the G3X screen or from something external, including a ARA 660, a Garmin portable, or uh, anything like an iFly um, a portable navigation unit. We can pull navigation info from there and have the autopilot nav function follow that. Also, the IFR navigators there as well. Uh, for vertical modes, you can uh, use uh, altitude pre-select, so you can navigate to that altitude by indicated airspeed or vertical speed. Um, and as we get heavier into IFR flight, you can build you know, vertical navigation profiles. For example, if you're flying up to an airport and you need to lose 2,000 feet, you can have the G3X system maintain a 500 foot per minute this, uh, descent to get you 1,000 foot above your airport two miles before the airport. You can plug in all that information and the G3X will calculate uh, what type on what type of vertical navigation profile it's going to put you on. Uh, so really, if you if you don't want to uh, be too hands on with your airplane cross country, uh, it's a great and very easy autopilot to fly with. Uh, as mentioned, that's accessible through the screen. But we also have items like our GMC 307 and GMC 507 autopilot controller uh, that interfaces in with the screen. Uh, that's a panel-mounted autopilot control system. Uh, if you find yourself flying uh, your autopilot a lot, it's a great option to consider. This gives us all of our uh, flight control system buttons on a panel-mounted option. Uh, that way, everything from our roll steering commands, altitude select commands are available on uh, three knobs on the autopilot control panel, and all our uh, autopilot modes are uh, simple, accessible uh, there as well. Okay, so I mean, a lot of capability in the autopilot. But if you if you just want your your most basic autopilot features, you know, you want to you want to track to a waypoint, or you just want to follow uh, a compass direction, uh -huh. uh, or you just want to fly level. Uh, what's the learning curve for someone who has never really? done any of that? How fast are they going to be able to pick up some of those basic functions and then work into the more advanced stuff? I think they can pick up the basic functions of that in one single flight. Um, it's very easy to use, for example, with our dual consent, the, the knobs on the front of the G3X touchscreen, <clears throat> for example, right now, the, the kiosk we're playing with right now uh, on the bottom left side, the knob is set up to be a heading and altitude select. So, 
the big knob is altitude select. The little knob is our heading options. Uh, you don't have to use the knobs. If you want to type in a heading to the G3X touchscreen, I can just touch uh, my heading option, type in a heading I want to fly to, and then once my autopilot is engaged, I'm just going to hit the heading button and the airplane's going to start flying itself. If I want to select an altitude, uh, for example, we're flying along at 5,000 feet, I can just roll my altitude select knob and select 6,000 feet. And then I can select, uh, let's say I want to climb there at 300 feet per minute or 500 feet per minute. By just touching one button vertical speed and rolling my little wheel up to 500 feet per minute, now we're going to start climbing at 500 feet per minute. So really the steering commands and the vertical commands uh, within uh, two functions of the screen are the knobs. Uh, we have the airplane completely uh, flying solely on the autopilot exactly what we tell it to do. For the navigation functions, for example, if we are using our VFR map in the system, let's just touch a, uh, using on my primary flight display, I'm just going to touch the direct to button, and if I can uh, select an airport, I'm just going to select one here local to the Kansas City area. Um, I'm just going to type in my uh, Johnson County executive here locally, uh, enter, then we have a direct to activate button there. So that's going to put the magenta line on my map. Uh, and then I'm just going to touch the nav button and away we go. The airplane's going to start following the navigation info that you just gave to it, uh, all internally to the screen. And it's going to start flying your airplane to that specific waypoint you're looking for. Okay, so that, that's pretty simple. So you, you don't necessarily have to get overwhelmed with uh, a hundred different ways of doing something if you can kind of ease into it with a pretty simple, straightforward menu. Yep. If you just need to hold a heading, uh, just engage the autopilot and hit the heading button. Uh, that'll get your wings level and hold altitude, touch the altitude button, and uh, the airplane's going to hold it uh, at that exact parameter that you gave it. And so, uh, yeah, very quick and easy to use. Uh, the simple functions on the autopilot are immediately accessible. The simplistic nav mode with the heading, I understand. Do you also have a uh, a track function based on your uh, your VFR mapping program too? So, for example, do you have like a concentric knob that if you saw something on your your map, you could turn this knob and it would throw a line and basically intercept it and set a course that way. Right. Yeah. So on the if we go to split screen mode on the VFR map. Uh, by rolling my heading bug, it's showing a blue dotted line across that map of that heading I'm flying to. So if you saw a feature that you're wanting to go fly and see, and you just want your autopilot to drive that to it, it's going to give you a uh, heading point. So it's going to show you a radial on that map where that autopilot is pointed to. That way, if you roll your uh, track over to that, it's going to give you an extended line, uh, and that way you know if you're going to fly the correct heading over to that feature. Yeah, I really love those features. That's great to know. Okay, um, so I think I think we probably hit the uh, the options. Uh, the one option that uh, I know you I know the the G3X system has, but we haven't talked about it, is angle of attack. What do we need to do to get that, and how is it integrated? So part of our GSU flight computer, uh, that is a part of our LRU kit uh, that has the three ports already. So it has the pedostatic angle of attack. Uh, so with our uh, GAP26 is the name of my uh, pedo probe. Uh, so we are typically going to purchase a pedo2 pedo probe for our aircraft anyways. Uh, for about uh, for $199, so $199, you can purchase the GAP26. 
That includes the uh, pedo pressure, but it also has, if you look on that the tip of that pedo probe, about uh, 30 degrees down angle, there's another port on that, and that is our angle of attack port. It's a second uh, second uh, plumbing uh, tube that we feed to that uh, pedo, the, the pedo tube. So there's actually two of those uh, poly tubes coming out of your pedo tube. That's what gives us our angle of attack. So, so it's differential pressure, and the and the computer does the the, the determination of angle of attack. Yep, we get both pedo and angle of attack pressure, and through our algorithm and settings, because every airplane is going to be different how we measure that, we can figure that during flight testing, and that is going to give us our angle of attack information uh, for really no more investment than what we already have uh, into our aircraft. Uh, that shows up on the primary flight display. Uh, for example, if you get into a low angle of attack range, that's going to show up right next to your speed tape. And so it's going to be very visible next to your speed tape. Uh, it's also going to plumb the, the wiring and audio alerts are going to tell you. You'll have a voice in your headset saying angle, angle to let you know you have an issue. Also, uh, it's going to give you a beep tone. So uh, as you move into that critical angle of attack range, it's going to be beeping in your headset as you get to critical stall or critical angle of attack it's going to start beeping faster, and when you're at stall speed, it's going to go to a solid tone in your headset. That really replaces our stall warning system on our experimental aircraft uh, because, honestly, it's a much more functional system to use at a lower cost than what we typically see with a regular stall one. Okay, and so it's all built right into the display, and you just need the probe. Yep. We also have a, a GI-260 indicator, which is a standalone angle of attack indicator. Uh, it's an option within the system. Uh, that runs at a price of $249. If you prefer to have that in your line of sight, you can mount that uh, indicator on top of the glare shield. That way you don't have to be looking inside the cockpit uh, to see exactly where your angle of attack is. You'll be able to tell that by the audio tones in your headset, but you can also add an indicator on top of your glare shield to have that line of sight reference as well. Mm -hmm. That's like a little glass HUD that sits on top. Yep, it's just a little module. It looks exactly the same as the indicator that's in the screen. It's just going to give us a uh, another little screen on top of our uh, uh, glare shield to show us the exact same info. Is there any uh, development on HUD? Uh, I know some of the other um, vendors are pushing towards uh, either an Android or a Raspberry Pi kind of solution for a HUD. Uh, is Garmin going to produce something like that? So Garmin is not producing anything as far as a HUD system within our experimental uh, lineup. Uh, we do feed lots of data types. Uh, we, we provide a lot of data information coming out of our flight computer to the screen that's accessible. Uh, I know there are some third-party systems uh, working on interfaces to all the big uh, manufacturers from MGL to Dynon to the Garmin G3X. Uh, so while we don't have one ourselves and don't plan on producing a HUD system, uh, I believe there is going to be a third-party option uh, that probably will take our information and display that on the HUD as well. But that has been a, a pretty heavy topic here lately, people interested in those HUD devices. So with ADSB in, we're going to get traffic information. How is that integrated? So the traffic integration, if we go to a split screen traffic page, uh, which is uh, here, I just did that in two clicks. I now have my split screen traffic page. 
this is a zoomable map, so that's a very basic traffic page. It's just a black map with some white dotted range rings showing our traffic hits on there. One really unique thing about the Garmin protocol is we have a target trend listed on our traffic page. So what target trend is, and it is a new data protocol that's patented by Garmin, it's going to give you a trend line from that traffic. That way you know if they're going to be a threat or not. So example, if you have an airplane right in front of you, but they're flying away, it's going to show you on that trend line where that traffic is headed to. That's going to give you a better option to make a decision on uh, what do I need to find that airplane and what do I need to do to avoid him. So that way you can see he's flying away. He's really not going to be an issue. I can stay on my maintain my current heading. Or if you have somebody who's a couple miles away, you can see that they're coming into a path uh, right to, right that might be lined up with your flight, uh, flight line. Uh, we're able to make that decision. We don't have to wait to see where that traffic is moving on our radar. It's going to give us a trend line there as well. Uh, so that's how the traffic is integrated. One really great feature on the G3X system I really like as well is it's going to show up on our VFR map. So if we have the VFR uh, map page system uh, loaded up into the split screen mode, it's going to show the traffic hits on there as well. Same goes for the VFR, uh, the VFR charts or traffic page is going to hit on there as well. Uh, but one of the most valuable features is the warnings that it's going to give us on our primary flight display. So, for example, if I'm turning into a uh, traffic or a traffic hit is going to fly in front of me on my primary flight display, they are going to show up as a yellow dot on my synthetic vision on the primary flight display. So, if I have an issue, that's actually going to show up as a uh, yellow dot flying across my primary flight display. I know that there's traffic in front of me. If they're too cl too close, it's going to start flashing a traffic warning at me as well as give me that audio uh, alert the uh, traffic uh, verbal cue in my headset as well. And it's going to show above or below the horizon that we know exactly where to look on our primary flight display. Uh, even if we don't have the aircraft in sight visually, uh, we know exactly where from our horizon reference they are showing up uh, on our uh, flight path. Uh, so that's going to be a great safety feature. The first time I ever flew a traffic system was on the G3X in the Long Beach, California practice students area. And uh, if you want something to really open your eyes to how much traffic is out there, uh, that's uh, definitely going to show you. But uh, my very first flight behind it, I was able to actively use the information Garmin was giving me to uh, make it a safer sky for myself and for the students practicing out there because I was able to take just the visual cues on my screen to uh, to, to help me see and avoid uh, what was out there. So you're obviously going to get all this if you have an ADSB, a Garmin ADSB transponder. But what if you just have a portable for ADSB and um, what what type of portables will allow you to get this? So if you have any of the popular popular models like the Garmin GDL50, we can feed that Bluetooth information to the G3X screen. We have a Bluetooth interface built in with the G3X system. Uh, we're going to get that. Also works with your portable receivers uh, like uh, Stratus Bluetooth information. We can utilize some of that data there as well. So uh, many of the popular uh, Bluetooth receivers for ADSBN, we can feed that data onto the G3X screen. That's continually opening up as that protocol becomes a little bit more standard. So there may be some models out there that don't work, but 
uh, some of our mainstream ADSB receivers that you see portable, uh, we can utilize that information on the screen as well. Okay, so if you're flying with a, an iPad and ForeFlight and you've got some of that on your ForeFlight, you're going to be able to, to get the same stuff yep, Bluetooth into your G3X. Right, that's correct. We can yeah. still utilize that data. Well, Jeff? Go ahead, Gary. Yeah, I think there's still some, some caveat there that if you're using a passive in ADSB system, you're only going to get traffic information if there's a if there's a a, um, a 1090 ES aircraft within your your sector transmitting out that activates the ground stations. Isn't that correct, Brad? So depending what type of uh, information you are using, so ADSB is a passive passive traffic system. However, the however the Garmin GDL50 is a dual band receiver and the same thing goes for our GTX 30, uh, 45 transponder. Uh, that is a 978 and 1090 receiver. So we're going to see both those traffic hits. They don't have to be a participating ADSB uh, traffic for them to show up on our screen. We may lose some we of the information. This passive, uh, just ADSB uh, portable units that we're that we were talking about, though. Uh, right. It it really depends. So, like I said, the the Garmin GDL fifty is also a portable receiver that is dual a dual link receiver. So we should see both of those traffic hits as long as they're uh, transmitting. Uh, something on 978, which is our mode C, or the 1090. So depends which model you buy. That's definitely a consideration you need to look at when you're purchasing a portable ADSB receiver, uh, like a Garmin GDL or one of the uh, uh, other cost options that are on the market today. And that really has nothing to do with Garmin or ForeFlight or anything. That's just sort of a limitation of some of the low-cost portable ADSB and receivers, they just don't, they don't have all the same functionality because of the way the ADSB system is designed. Right. Without going into all the details, that's, that's kind of a limitation. Yep. I think if you're shopping for an ADSB receiver for a portable unit, uh, having something that can Bluetooth connect to your devices, but also a dual link, uh, definitely looking to purchase something that is that 978 and 1090 dual link receiver. Yeah, and those are typically going to be a little bit more money, but you're going to get more value out of it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Um, so as a user who purchases uh, a box full of goodies and has to install them in their panel, uh, how easy are these various components to integrate for the user? If you're not going to go through Steinair or Aircraft Spruce or something like that, you're going to do it all yourself. Well, like most of our home building uh, techniques, it's, it's it's a fundamental. So, for example, if you're going to do your own wiring harness, um, that's another fundamental building item that we as home builders definitely have to learn. Uh, you know, we have to learn the metalwork, uh, riveting techniques, fiberglass techniques. Um, each one of these is a step we learn to do to accomplish on our aircraft. Uh, same goes for the wiring harness. Uh, Doing, uh, you know, doing things properly and fundamentally building your wiring harness with the proper technique is very important to the functionality and safety of your aircraft. Garmin does uh, uh, coordinate some training uh, behind wiring fundamentals. Uh, we have several coming up this year. We also cooperate with the Aircraft Electronics Association. Uh, we, we hold a Garmin G3X wiring class, and you will actually have a hands-on opportunity to how to uh, uh, solder wires, crimp pin connectors, learn how to solder and ground a shield on a shielded cable, 
uh, for example. So some of those basic fundamentals, we have training opportunities out there uh, that uh, you can see. But all of our diagrams, interface diagrams are available on our Garmin website. So if you go to Garmin.com slash experimental and look at the G3X Touch manuals, we have our full 900-page installation manual on that website that includes all the units from the the transponders, radios, G3X touchscreens, autopilots. But we also have our wiring diagrams on there to show how each one of these uh, boxes interface to each other. Uh, that way, if you're doing your own wiring harness, you can physically look in the install manual and see what pin goes where and exactly how do we need to ground the shields and ground to the back shell connectors, items like that. So I'd say it's very, uh, it, it's similar to learning how to build your airplane from the very start. We're looking at our plans, learning how to read those. And as we gain experience and education and training, it all makes sense to us by, uh, hopefully by the time we're done with our airplane. So uh, I know in the middle, we all feel like we still have much to learn uh, as we make our mistakes, but uh, that's all very readily available uh, freely on our website. Uh, if the wiring schematics is something that is a little intimidating to you, and I definitely understand how that could be the case, uh, the vendors that will build a full wiring harness for your aircraft uh, will also uh, give an option just to sell you a wiring diagram uh, just for your airplane. So going to an aircraft vendor uh, on our avionics experimental side saying, this is the list I have uh, of equipment for my airplane. I don't want to draw the wiring schematics or the electrical bus information. Uh, I know for uh, it, the, the price range is uh, very wide, but from a few hundred dollars to, you know, $800, uh, you can purchase a full wiring diagram that is specific to your equipment and to your airplane. And from there, you're just reading a plan and, and getting everything connected together. Yeah. So installing the hardware is not difficult. A few screws to attach to the airframe. Uh, fabricating the wiring harness, there's obviously the, the base skills that you need to possess to, to, to do the, the construction of the harness properly. Like you said, soldering, crimping, pins, connectors, back shells, all that kind of stuff. But the documentation walks you through all the various pieces that you would assemble into your complete system. It will show you the, the proper uh, techniques to use, the considerations as far as equipment placement, wiring considerations that you need to do. It's a very good read. It's also a very educational read. And there are some other third-party resources like the Aircraft Wiring Electrical Guide uh, is a very popular one that I've seen on the marketplace that will help you with these considerations. But installing, installing the equipment, the boxes, is very easy. If you built the airplane, you can install the equipment in the boxes. Uh, it's just making sure that your electrical system uh, and wiring system is uh, properly done and up to the task of what you're installing. So looking at the screen, uh, it's it's a real bright, crisp display. But how does it look when you have sun coming in from the side glaring on it? There's really no issue. So it's a, it's a very bright, crisp display, uh, but it, we're inside, so it's really not as bright as it can be. Uh, this system is installed and many bubble uh, canopy type aircraft. So the sunlight readability, it is very bright. So we typically don't have any issue as far as uh, the uh, backlight intensity. So uh, it's adjustable. Uh, you can put that on a, a manual adjustment and adjust it from the screen. Uh, you can uh, do it on a rheostat on your panel. If you need to adjust it on the fly, you can add that to rheostat. 
But also there's a photo cell in the front of the screen that's going to read the ambient light of the environment around you and automatically adjust its brightness. So uh, many of the, the comments that I receive from our users out in the field is uh, they really never touch the brightness on their screen, whether they're going from daytime flight to nighttime flight. Uh, they find that the, the automatic uh, uh, lighting control of the screen really takes care of all their needs for them, and they very, very rarely uh, have to read that. But... Uh, I've flown with the G3X and uh, a side-by-side, uh, you know, RV6A on a very bright, sunny day, and it was uh, the readability of the screen was uh, never a thought in my mind. I I never had any issue, or never had to squint or wish it was brighter. It was uh, I was able to concentrate on other things other than the brightness of my screen. Okay, what about the touchscreen sensitivity in turbulent conditions? So uh, one good item about the uh, the G3X is all of the functions are accessible by touch or by the buttons and knobs on the bottom. So there's two ways you can do that. Uh, the Garmin G3X screen itself, there's a bezel around the screen. So it adds a very uh, ergonomic touch point for your hand. So if you're flying in turbulence and touching some of the features like our radio, uh, you can rest your hand around the bezel of the screen and touch every item that you need on the screen. There's also a built-out lip on the bottom of the screen as well. That serves as a resting point for our hand, whether it's our uh, you know, pinky finger or our thumb, to be able to rest our hand physically on the panel and on the screen to be able to access those touch functions. So it's actually very friendly to use in turbulence, uh, but if there is any issue uh, by using our, our minis, let's say we need to access a radio, uh, by using our buttons and knobs, I can just touch, click, and immediately get to my functions without ever touching the screen. So if you're really bouncing around, you grab onto the joystick and hang on. Yep, that's exactly right. You still have full functionality of most of the functions you need there. So yeah. two ways, to, two user interface ways. Uh, sometimes we uh, uh, get beat up a little bit on uh, being told that you can only do it from the touch screen, and that's simply not true. Uh, I just uh, demonstrated how to access the radio features without ever touching the screen just by using my buttons and knobs. So uh, one myth that we can kind of uh, put down is that uh, you can only use the touch screen. Uh, depending on your flight mode, you can access those features many ways. Okay. Uh, what about software and database updates? How do you do that? Uh, you can do that on uh, flygarmin.com. So our software, our software updates are always free uh, for the G3X system, and you can pull those right off the Garmin website. So on the front of the screen, there is an 8-gigabyte SD card that uh, just pops in and out like your regular computer. So if you take an 8-gigabyte SD card, uh, you can plug that into your computer, whether it's a Mac or a PC, uh, and go to Garmin.com Experimental, uh, there is a selection on there for software updates. Uh, by pulling that up, it's going to show you what the latest G3X software update is. And you load that onto the card, you go out to your airplane next flight, pop that in the front of the screen, and you fire up your avionics. It's going to recognize that it has a new software load onto that card. It's going to ask you if you want to update your software. You hit yes, and by the time you're done doing your pre-flight walking around the airplane, the software is done updating. Uh, the really great thing about that, and this is one thing that the CAN bus uh, backbone, the CAN bus architecture allows us to do. Part of that G3X software update is also updating everything on that CAN bus network. So if my GMC 507 autopilot controller is on there, my G5, uh, my radios, my transponder, it's going to simultaneously 
update all of the software and the units of my airplane uh, right off that uh, central uh, brain unit in the G3X. So as I was mentioning earlier, if you're limited on space and need to put a radio or a transponder in the tail cone, we don't have to crawl back there to try to update the software. It's going to do it right from our primary flight display. And the SD card just transports the files to the unit, or, or does it read it off of there like map files and database files? It transports that to the unit. So if I pull my SD card out, I can still access all my map, my features, frequencies, all those databases are on there. What the SD card also does is keep track of our flight logs. So it takes a data point every second, and you can fly a 1,000 hours before you will fill up the card on our data log. Uh, if you're doing flight testing or have an issue, you can pull that flight log off the SD card. It's going to throw that to an Excel spreadsheet. Every data parameter that's a G3X system is utilizing, it's going to give you uh, all that information on an SD card. Uh, for the databases, there's really several different options. Uh, the databases are a purchase item from Garmin. So at flygarmin.com, uh, this is kind of our personalized uh portal for your database subscriptions for your airplane specifically. So what you would do is you would establish a database account on flygarmin.com, similar to like you would any uh, social media or email account. Uh, And then you add the serial number uh, information for your equipment onto that. And so it knows this is your serial unit, this is your G3X system, and this is the databases we're buying for it. For a basic uh, VFR aircraft to have all of that information, the database information in the screen. So as I mentioned, that's all of our uh, VFR nav maps, train information, our safe taxi, uh, uh, taxi diagrams for all the airports you're flying into, the obstacles. Uh, all that's included uh, for $49.99 is our database subscription for basic VFR aircraft. Um, so really, technically, uh, there's nothing requiring us by law that we have to keep those databases updated for a VFR aircraft. You can do a one-time $49.99 update to your G3X screen, and you can go fly, and you really are not required to buy a yearly subscription for that. You can do it once and move on down the road. When we move into uh, IFR aircraft, this is when we are uh, have the requirement to keep our databases updated every 28 days. So our database run ranges for VFR for that $49.99. If you want to add IFR charts uh, to that airport facilities directory, have some more information, uh, that runs uh, $149.99. Uh, and then if you want to fly from the USA to Canada, we have a, a, a bundle for North America that gives you everything uh, in between. And that's uh, $299.95 uh, for a much larger database. So you're not required to buy a really big, expensive database. Really, a one-time $50 investment can give you a lot of information. And it's up to you whether you want to continue to update that or not. So those are the ways, uh, different subscription options we have. Uh, to get all of this uh, useful data into the system. Are those subscription prices annual or monthly? Those are annual subscription prices. So if you purchase that annual uh, basic VFR database, uh, that gives you uh, multiple updates throughout the year. So those are going to be a yearly database bundle. All right. It's a lot of information. So let me just uh, pause here for just a second. Uh, Jonathan, I got a question for you. So as a, as a builder, like I said, who is really at the cusp of trying to decide what you want to buy, um, 
what are the important things that run through your head when you when you start to size up like what avionic system you're going to go with? Tell us about your thought process. <laughs> well, I'm an engineer by degree, so I like uh, thingies and gadgets, and I like technology. So, um, you know, I, I love all the things I've heard about integration. I also uh, am very interested in remote mount everything. So I, I'm looking for a really clean panel. And it occurred to me on the drive here, we were, we were talking, and uh, actually with the Garmin system, the only thing that's really necessary to be installed in the panel that's visible is the display itself. Everything else is uh, tucked away. So that that uh, remote mount high tech aspect of that and the CAN bus and uh, the flexibility there is what really appeals to me. Yeah, definitely. And so yeah, and certainly we have many owners do that. The the only item on their panel is that one piece of glass, and everything that they need to run all the <coughs> systems in their aircraft are accessible from that central hub. So it makes for a very simple, clean install. Uh, but also gives you that high-tech James Bond feel when you're flying around. You can definitely uh, uh, pretend that way, too. So it's kind of fun that way as well. Okay, I guess uh, the last question I have um, as far as the the hardware goes is uh, what all is in the box when you get a display or a line-replaceable unit, or do you get the... Do you get the pins and the connectors and back shells, or is all that separate? Uh, most of that is separate options because uh, we don't want to send that out to you if you're, uh, for example, if you're purchasing a pre-built third-party wiring harness. Uh, usually they will give you the connectors, pins, everything like that individually with your wiring harness. So that way you don't have a box of parts hanging out on the hanger shelf and you don't have a lot of waste uh, cost that way. So when you purchase a, a G3X touchscreen, you have a uh, your basic data information on that screen, usually just kind of a warranty manual and the screen. It's in the box. Uh, so for example, if we're just going to look at the seven inch landscape display, I purchase that screen, it's going to come in a well-packaged Garmin box, open it up, and that's what it is. It's the display. Uh, If I'm doing my own install, I purchase the uh, 7-inch screen installation kit, and uh, that's required for uh, each display install kit. What that is is that will now give me a mounting ring if I want to use a mounting ring, or uh, it's going to give me the connector kit, the back shell, the the actual metal units, the plug-and-play items. Uh, the install kit is going to have that. Uh, we realize, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> we realize that not all builders need to have all that installed hardware, depending where they're sourcing it from. Uh, so that's why that's very optional on uh, what you can buy. Uh, you don't get, have a big box of parts left over at the end of the end of the build that way. So uh, the 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 racks, pins, uh, those are available kitted together with the unit, or you can purchase them separately. Uh, that's one install consideration for, let's say, a radio. Uh, for example, a panel, a panel mount radio. Uh, sometimes I have a uh, aircraft uh, builder customer that may want to purchase the back shell, the connector, and the rack to go ahead and install, but they may want to delay that radio purchase till later on down the road. You can purchase it both ways as an all-inclusive kit, or you can uh, buy pieces to it to complete your install uh, based on your time and your budget as well. Hmm. All right, John, uh, what you got? I don't got much more. Um, 
it's good good info lots of uh, acronyms lots of numbers uh to consider i, I i've always liked the uh the garment it's high quality um, I always thought they were a little outpriced for the experimental market, but maybe they're moving more, more towards that. Um, I would have a Garmin panel if uh, if I had the coin. I really believe, and this is one of my uh, one of the the most common questions I get at a trade show. So let's say it's coming up at uh, Sun and Fun or Oshkosh. Is uh, I get asked why is Garmin so expensive, and I say, well, tell you what, let's sit down. Let's take a look at your equipment and let's just compare prices. Let's see what happens. And so I will sit down uh, with a build sheet at a show or on email. And I actually have one in front of me uh, that I built for typical Sonics type aircraft. Uh, when I go down through the line items and I just check the boxes, I check the screens, the LRU kits, connector kits, autopilot, servos, my EIS information, transponder, comms, radio. When we get to the bottom of the list and we get to that total price and I present that to a prospective builder, they kind of take a pause. They say, well, that's really the same price as what I've received everywhere else. And so I think it's a little bit of a, um, you know, I think people kind of have that perception that the garment's going to be more expensive. But I, I'd say 90% of the time when I build a system at a show with a prospective customer, uh, we come most of the time within a few hundred dollars of the competitor systems, and and uh, really, um, I think I, I think we I think we're right in the ballpark uh, with our competitors as well. There are exceptions to that. Obviously, if you're going into IFR flight, then you're uh, purchasing a certified IFR navigator. But uh, that that could be a Garmin unit or another unit. Uh, but when you really look at the the bare bones of the system. I think you're going to find we're pretty well going to be the same price, um, if any price difference less less than ten percent. Um, I priced the Sonex system in front of me, so just to share to the readers what that is, uh, I did a, a large ten point six inch display with all of the LRU kits, uh, the install kits, uh, engine information system is there as well. I added a uh, engine sensor package, my full autopilot for two axis. Uh, I have my uh, pedo uh, angle of attack probe in there, uh, ADSB out transponder with my WASP position source, a Bluetooth comm radio with a database bundle. I added everything together and I came up with a kind of a heavy VFR panel uh, with autopilot, ADSB, everything you would need. That total equipment price came under $13,000 for the equipment price that I selected on there. So um, I definitely challenge you to do some research and look at some experimental uh, options there. On the website, Garmin has a experimental solutions pricing worksheet that has all of these units. You can go through a full shopping list for your aircraft to see what is it going to cost me at the end of the day, and you can make purchasing decisions for there. Yeah, so if, you, if your goal is to create the lowest cost panel and capability is not that important, you're going to be able to pull together uh, maybe some older MGL avionics or uh, go with a combination of maybe an EAS and some steam gauges for other functions, uh, an older calm radio and a mode C transponder with an add-on ADSB. So you can certainly assemble a panel that is going to be lower cost but but really, what the 
what the, the thing that a builder needs to consider is the difference in price over that sort of bare bones price to get you up to really a, 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 the next level of capability. You know, that might be only five or $6,000 more over that bare bones cost. And you have to ask yourself, is it worth five grand to get, you know, these advanced features and this level of integration? That's really where the soul searching needs to come in. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of those equipment prices are very inclusive. We look at the G3X screen, we're like, what does this system cost? Well, it could be $15,000. You kind of go, whoa, wait a second. Well, that's the G3X avionics system. That's inclusive to everything on a VFR aircraft from our autopilot servos that are hitting out the wings that we don't see, remote-mounted transponder and comm information. That's really the full system. Like I said, if somebody says, I want a piece of glass in front of me that I'm going to fly behind, uh, we can really get started for five to $6,000 and have all the database information, the VFR stuff we have there. So really, that's our baseline, and uh, that's where the soul-searching, like you said, comes in after that on uh, how far do I want to go with this. And really, the sky's the limit, depending uh, what, what your builder preferences and, and uh, flight parameter preferences are uh, from there as well. Good, good. Uh, Jonathan, any uh, any final questions or final thoughts on what you've heard? Uh, I have just one question about uh, flight planning. Can you build a complete flight plan on the unit itself, or do you need to do it on a mobile device and transfer it? So you can do both. Uh, if you are using Garmin Pilot on your iPad and you build a flight plan on your iPad, you can go out to the aircraft and through the Bluetooth Connect interface, uh, I can send that from Garmin Pilot or ForeFlight into the G3X screen. It's going to come into my active flight plan page. Uh, if I go to my split screen mode and look at my flight plan page, uh, I can uh, select uh, many different uh, waypoints on here, and I can add, remove waypoints as well, and just really start from scratch if I choose to do that. So uh, definitely two different options because of the database availability we have in both locations. Uh, you can build a full flight plan uh, on the nav functions right on the screen and navigate it or use your portable device and transfer that as well. I use uh, Garmin Pilot currently, and that looks very similar to what you just yep. brought up there. It's going to look the exact same. We use the same menu buttons and, use, like I said, that user interface uh, conversation we had earlier. Uh, it's going to be consistent. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work the same way. Good. Good. Gary? Well, Brett, I really appreciate the fact that you're a home builder as well. I think that adds a nice perspective to it and that you're a member of the Team X. Um, I kind of like to put this in a little bit of another perspective. You know, like airplanes and avionics and anything else, you can spend as little or as much as you want to do. You know, I kind of collect wristwatches on a side as well. And, and some of them are very, very nice. And some people ask me, well, why would you invest in something like that? And it's kind of like I kind of give them the analogy because everyone drives a car pretty much. You know, a, a Ford Escort will almost do the exact same thing as a Rolls-Royce, but which would you want to be in? And I think that equates a lot to avionics as well. I think, I don't know if there's anybody who would dispute that Garmin probably isn't, is, is not the world leader in, in avionics without a doubt. Um, certainly, you're going to pay a little bit prior, uh, a little bit of a premium price to it. But of course, you know, it's kind of like the Rolls-Royce of avionics. Um so, so there's, you know, for the Sonics Builder, you know, we, we've we've gone from the very low-tech aspect on some of our podcasts uh, to kind of the pinnacle now as far as avionics and, and capabilities. And, you know, it's always up to, to the individual person as to what they want to do and how much they want to invest. And as Jeff is always fond of saying, 
what is your core mission? And, and that's always what we need to try to define to the best of our abilities, although that's going to change over time. So, you know, I think you've given us, you know, an, an excellent perspective of the G3X, um, especially from a builder's perspective. And so it's just a matter of people getting out there and really looking at, at all the various systems. And you, at the end of the day, you just kind of kind of decide and weigh the pros and cons and the bucks and, and decide what really best fits your mission. Right. And the best way is to uh, be able to attend one of the uh, one of the big shows, whether it's an AOPA regional show or the Sun and Fun or Oshkosh. You know, definitely come see us at our Garmin booths or our Garmin tents. And, uh, you know, touch the system and, and get your hands, uh, on to see how, how it, uh, how the user interface works for you and come talk to one of us and talk about the install considerations behind that. And same goes for other manufacturers. I, it's great to be a part of the home builders community because we got, uh, some really good quality, uh, manufacturers that are supporting the industry. Uh, whether that's a, a Garmin to a Dynon to an MGL to Grand Rapids, uh, I think everybody within the industry has a heart behind this home building movement in the grassroots aviation. And the, at the end of the day, uh, you know, we, we care too. We're aircraft builders and owners as well. And uh, the, the best option for your aircraft is the option that you feel most comfortable with and that you feel is right for your flight mission and profile. So at the end of the day, as a home builder myself, that's going to be my most important goal. And I definitely encourage people to try everything out. But, you know, definitely consider us. I'm definitely biased. But uh, the, the fact that we put so much time, uh, time and money investment and emotional investment into building our aircraft um, you know, that's, you know, making sure you're happy with your end result is uh, definitely my number one priority that I want to see each home builder be fulfilled on. Well, Brad, and, and I guess my final thoughts really kind of, I, I keep coming back to, there's a lot of people who fly Garmin avionics in GA airplanes. They're used to flying a G1000 Cessna or something like that. And this, you know, their Sonics project is, uh, it fills a different, mission and a different niche in their own aviation experience. But here's a chance to, to, to bring some of that familiar interface and buttonology and, and the, the legacy and, and support that Garmin brings and bring it into their Sonics. And so for a lot of people, I think that may be very attractive to them. And, uh, maybe this will how allow them to take a fresh look at, uh, at, at what they really want in their airplane. So, and then I guess along with that, with the reputation that the Garmin line brings, um, for people that maybe are looking at flying their airplane for a, a certain amount of time and then selling it and building the Zenith, uh, <laughs> or something, <laughs> you know, uh, there, there may be a, a resale consideration to, to maybe putting in a few extra dollars at the front end that you're going to receive back when you sell the airplane at that higher resale value. Yeah, it always uh, seems, and even even in my unbiased opinion, before I came to came to uh, Garmin, um, it it does uh, having that name brand uh, equipment in your aircraft, it it does sell very very well. And so uh, I said, Garmin and, and Dynon both are two big players that are very recognized names, and so uh, definitely a value into your aircraft. It's definitely a uh, investment that is one to consider. Well, good. Um, guys, did we miss anything? Uh, anybody have any final comments or questions for Brad? I'd like to add one last thing. Uh, you know, the, the Garmin premium 
Price has come up a few times. I heard Gary say it again, and and uh, Gary sitting across the table from Brad here, I kind of saw the look on Brad's face that indicated, man, I've worked so hard to dispel the the premium price myth, and it's it's still it's still hanging on. But what I'd like to add is that uh, I put together an Excel spreadsheet comparing uh, Garmin to Dynon to MGL. This was about three years ago, so the pricing's a little stale at this point, but it's true what you said about the price competitiveness of Garmin. All three of those for similar features, you know, autopilot, um, all, all the, you know, apples to apples as, as I could get it, uh, were within just a few hundred dollars of one another. I think it was like 6%. Very well, Mr. Brad, don't, so, don't take me wrong. Yeah, no, I mean, my, my analogy between the Ford Escort and the Rolls Royce was just to, to emphasize that you have a very quality product. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. You know, it's, I, I like that analogy because, you know, I, I cringe when I have to put $500 into my Toyota, but when there's a, uh, you know, new airplane part I need, I'm just like, take my money. You know? <laughs> and so I think we all, we all have that. So I, I it's great to have that premium perception, uh, but, uh, be able to, to provide that at an affordable price. And I think uh, where Garmin came from and the certified uh, market and be able to pull that technology into the experience, I, I believe that's what helps gets us, uh, you know, gets us more of that Rolls Royce into the uh, Ford Escort price. But maybe we'll upgrade. Maybe we'll get to a Mustang or something like that. <laughs> All right, guys. I think that is enough for tonight. Um, Brad, thank you for the uh, very comprehensive in-depth look at the G3X. Uh, I think it it really is um, – it's good to periodically go back and challenge one's assumptions. And, you know, we, we started with the idea of there's these myths out there because the myth itself might be the barrier that someone has to really investigate it for themselves. So hopefully this will give you guys something to think about and you'll be able to go through and, and take an objective look at what do you need and uh, where might you get avionics that fill that mission. So, Brad, thanks for your comments. Thanks for inviting us here to the headquarters and uh, and walking us through it. Yeah, I definitely appreciate your time. It was a lot of fun to be a part of that. It's always fun to talk with home builders and different aircraft types. So, definitely thank you for having me and uh, definitely enjoyed everybody's participation on the show today. Great. Gary, John, uh, enjoy the good weather this weekend. Uh, I might be living vicariously through you, Gary, as I uh, maybe will hopefully finish up my maintenance this weekend. But I'm sure you'll you'll probably get a few hours in anyway. I'm certainly hoping so. Like I said, I think this clear blue sky, hopefully you'll have it by tomorrow morning. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, if I don't, I'm not going to know who to blame. Yeah, okay. I'll take it. <laughs> Jonathan, uh, good to have you back on. Uh, always appreciate your comments and your insights. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. And with that, uh, I will just uh, say that you can find this episode on the website at sonicsflight.com. The show notes are available at sonicsflight.com slash five three. You can find links to our past episodes. You can subscribe to the podcast through your favorite podcast app, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, all those other podcasting services. If you have an idea for a show topic or you want to give us some feedback on our previous shows, send us an email to feedback at sonicsflight.com. And uh, also last episode, we talked about the idea for some Sonics Flights t-shirts. Uh, you can go to the show notes and take a look. Last month, you can look, you can look at this episode. If you're interested, just send us a quick email and let us know that, that you think you might be. Uh, it's one of these things where we'll do a bulk purchase and people can just kind of pick and choose what they want. 
So if there's no interest, that's fine too. But if, if you wanted to get one, uh, it'll probably be like a one-time deal. So send us a note. Gary, John, Jonathan, Brad, thanks again. Really appreciate it. Uh, have a great weekend and fly safe, guys. Adios, guys. All right, bye. See you guys later. Thanks. The views and opinions expressed on the Sonic Flight podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of any individual, company, or organization mentioned on this program. Nothing presented on this podcast should be construed to be the official position or recommendation of anyone not directly associated with Sonic's Flight. Anything that sounds like advice should be carefully considered before being implemented. Remember, you are the pilot in command. All right. Excellent. Thanks, guys. Uh, now I'm going to touch it. Yeah, touch it. I've been waiting to touch it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's going to sell. Don't touch it. Oh, I know what's going on. Oh, no, Jonathan. I want to yank on the knobs. We're totally going to cut that part out. I cut the head. Video now. It's so smooth. Jeff, I just got one last question for Brad, and I'll let you guys go. Yep. Go ahead, Gary. Brad. How long did Jeff tell you this podcast would take? You know, I, I came into it with an open mind. He did not give me any specific time expectation. So I, I could be here at midnight if I needed to be. <laughs> I told my wife I'd be home by now. <laughs> yeah. my, wife, my wife asked me. I was like, I don't know. I might be home by 8 o'clock and it's 9 now, but that's okay. I only live a couple miles away. I don't have to go far. Gary, I only have one answer when people ask how long it's going to take. I always just say, oh, it won't take long at all. Yeah, I know. We're two hours into this, guys. Yeah, I know. <laughs> That's okay. We we have we have fun talking about it. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, but Gary right, and I do. I'll let, yeah, I'll let you guys go. I just appreciate it, Brad. Yeah. I appreciate the input, and maybe we'll see you around. What's your last name again, Brad? Rinsing. Okay. All right. Well, hopefully we'll see the show one day. And I'll say I'm Gary, the guy that harassed you at the podcast. Yeah, that'll work. I'd appreciate that. Yeah, you'll definitely know Gary because he'll have good-looking girls on each arm. Yeah, (laughs) that's good. Somebody's got to do it.